You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. You've now tuned in to the Drawing Board Podcast, a powerful, thought-provoking discussion where we talk about family, relationships, ministry, community, and career. Let's see what exciting guests we have on our show today. So again, our exciting guest tonight is none other than Kiera D. Gray. How are you, Kiera? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. Thank you for asking. Welcome to the show. The Drawing Board Nation welcomes you, and <laughs> we are you. glad to have you here. I appreciate uh, it. Especially with your interest, like it being Women's History Month, like yes. I, I cannot wait to hear your perspective <laughs> and your vantage point and okay. your experiences. So I'm going to start off with this question, and it, it's very broad. Very uh, broad. Please okay. tell me, who is, if you had to qualify and express who is, who is Kiera D. Gray? That is very broad. Yes, it is. <laughs> Who is Kiera? I am a mother. Yes. I'm a daughter. All right. I'm an aunt. Yes. I'm a future social worker. I just oh. got accepted. Snatched. Okay. Snatched. <laughs> to school in the fall. I'm a journalist. Wait a minute. You can't, you can't pass up what school it is, though. The University of Michigan. Okay, the University of Michigan, maize and blue. I know you all are out there. Uh, all of my Wolverines, one of two your two-time Wolverine. Oh, two-time Wolverine. Please That's my believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Undergrad is from U of M as well. Okay, great, great. So, Kiera, when I, when I get a chance to describe you, and you said mother, aunt, you know, future social worker, some of the words that I used to describe were some of the same. But you're also a Life and Times blogger. Yes. And so your blog is called? The Life and Times. But we're in the middle of a revamp, so keep a lookout for that. Okay. <laughs> and the things you talk about on your blog, we'll talk about tonight. So Girl. womanhood, motherhood, and beauty. <laughs> yes. Now, I heard that beauty was in the eye of the beholder. How do you feel about that? It is in the eye of the beholder, but as women, we often get told we have to look a certain way, act a certain way to be considered desirable. But it's all about how you feel. So if you don't feel beautiful on the inside, which is why I talk about mental health, you don't feel beautiful on the outside. Okay, great. Uh, here's one of the things that I find interesting. When we, okay. when we talk about Kiera D. Gray <laughs> mm-hmm. and how you find... Uh, the need to be an advocate, you know, uh, for women to be able to express themselves, to have their voice be heard, you know. Um, explain to me, where does that come from? I've always been a writer. I've been journaling since I was about six years old. Okay. <laughs> and I used to write stories when I was in school, you know, when you have arts and crafts time. Everybody was, like, drawing horses <laughs> or ponies. I was, like, literally making books. So I would tell stories about what I was doing that day. And I became an aunt when I was seven years old. So I grew up with my nephew like I was his sibling. So I would, like, write about, like, our little adventures, (laughs) like like toddlers. But I – and as I got older, I was, like, trying to find, like, what I was passionate about. So I – When I went to University of Michigan, I minored in writing, and then I graduated. And after a gap year, I applied to Northwestern's University Medill School of Journalism. And I was like, maybe I want to, like, be a CNN news anchor, or maybe I want to write for different magazines. So I tried to go on that journey, but then I realized it wasn't in that capacity that I wanted to write. I didn't want to 
work for maybe a local news outlet. I wanted to tell the stories I feel like should have been you need to hear because the news often skews the stories and doesn't portray black people or black, especially black women in the way that we need to tell our own narratives. So okay. that's why I started my own blog so we can have a platform to tell our own narratives. All right. So you're real big about structuring your own narrative, yes. writing in your own way, expressing your own voice. Yes. And so it was just really like a natural extension of who you are. Yes. Right. So I always got asked, why don't you have a blog? And I was like, who wants to hear my story? Right. <laughs> so then I finally I was like, OK, if somebody somebody out there will read it, even if it's one person. <laughs> right. So, so, I mean, I just read you your la- your most recent uh, blog when you were. Uh, talking about what is self-care. Yes. And so when we when we a lot of people equate, particularly uh, when they talk about womanhood or motherhood, they think about all of the social responsibilities and the hats that women wear. Yes. Uh, but before uh, a woman is a mother mm-hmm. uh, and she takes on the identity of, you know, being a daughter and then she begins to go through adolescence and grow mm-hmm. uh, into her uh, gets her own voice and begins to craft her life based upon sometimes parental expectations, sometimes their own desires, sometimes how social media may try to sculpt and what to say what's desirable. Like, so Kiara, walk me through like what womanhood meant to you. Like, how did you discover and still yet discovering, like, how did you find your groove, your voice? Because there are a lot of women right now who like, oh yeah, I love being, you know, uh, my kid's mother. I love being... Uh, a social worker. I love, and they they can tell me about all of the different hats they wear, all of the different people who depend on them. But if we strip all of that away and just in the the rawness of being woman, like what is yes. like? Tell me about that journey. How <laughs> how did you become who you are now? I'm still trying to find who I am now. Okay, I feel like it's ever evolving. I feel like you're never like if I feel like. I can find myself in one day and then the next week something else will happen and I'll be somebody new. I feel like you can constantly change who you want to be, but at your core, like I, that's a big question. I'm trying to figure that out. It is. So I guess let me break it down. Like, so what matters to you? What matters to me? Okay. So like you said, like when people describe themselves, like, who are you? Like they say, Oh, I'm a mother and all this, but like, I'm more than just my title because I was a woman before I was a mother. And that, and that's what I, and that's what I'm getting to. So like, so like, uh, you see a lot of particularly, and I'm not plugging them. I'm not telling you to go exfoliate and get some Dove. That's not what I'm telling you to do. Yeah. But you see a lot of Dove commercials uh, where, um, you know, they bare skin mm-hmm. to symbolize, like, in my natural, you know, innate beauty, before I am anything to anyone else, I am woman, hear me roar, <laughs> yes. you know, and the sisterhood I have, the commonality that I have that transcends race, that transcends ethnicity, that transcends socioeconomics and cultural backgrounds. Like, no, we are like this is Women's History Month. It is. And so, like, uh, there have been a lot of different campaigns mm-hmm. regarding Women's History Month. And, you know, some of them are a little provocative, you know, they are. Uh, yeah. but it is part of embracing like the fullness of being a woman and not letting anyone put any stigmas or negativity um, on what it means to be a woman, not mm-hmm. allowing anyone to take advantage or to place titles on like what yes. it means to be a woman. So I, I guess the question I'm yes. going to, and I'm not going to leave it alone because okay. I'm, I'm coming directly to okay. this. Yes. And the reason that I say that is because so many 
uh, women that I know and I meet haven't fully like brought definition to like what does it mean for them to just be a woman. So when, like as a child, like you're often told, like you have to put yourself in certain gender roles. Like you have to play with like um, Barbie dolls. You have to play with this. And like, but I was like growing up, like I was like, I'm the youngest child of three brothers. You're you're the baby? (laughs) I'm the baby. Oh, wow. Wow. I don't know if you can tell. Yes. Listen, spoiled rotten probably. Spoiled rotten. I won't deny that. Okay. And so then my dad like was always throwing, he's like, why don't you play basketball like like your brothers? So like, so that's already stepping outside of like, oh, like, but then I decided, I was like, I'm going to be a cheerleader. (laughs) But I got to high school, but, but like, you know, trying to find myself in different ways, like, because when I was younger, I was maybe considered like a tomboy. I did like do all of the sports. I played all of the athletics. But then, like growing, I'm trying to find myself. I was like, let me just do cheerleading. Let me do gymnastics. Like, so I tried everything. I got to college. I majored in women's studies. <laughs> I know, and, and that's why that's why I'm I'm interested in your vantage point because like yes, literally my whole degree is is in women's about stu- women. Right. So that's why, and I minored in African American studies. So I basically studied myself. That's what I'm. That's what I'm, that's what I'm saying. And so like it interests me. Yes. Like that you would get to college. Which is some of like the most developmental years that craft like your entire future. I was all over. Yeah, what you pursue, <laughs> right? What I'm saying, like, mm-hmm. so, like, you studied women and you yes. studied like the woman's journey. Yes, but then, it was a lot of times it was white feminism. It was, mm-hmm. you know, and so like we can contrast that, and yeah. I would be interested when you talk about like white feminism and black feminism, like how does that work for you? Like, how do you find that balance within yourself? And then when you talk about feminism just in general, Mm -hmm. because there are a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of um, double standards that exist out there. And when you talk about how it's defined as being a double minority Mm -hmm. of being not just a woman, but an African-American woman. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people might say that is a negative thing, but I look at it as such an empowering thing. Like I love when being I, a black yeah, woman. when I look at your melanin or black girl magic, like mm-hmm. there, there's a whole story to be told just from like laying eyes on an African American woman, like uh, shape totally different, think totally different, experiences mm-hmm. are different, strength, quality, yeah. beauty, sensuality, like so, like all of these <laughs> things that uh, I've got a chance to see. And like my aunts and my mother and my cousins. We're the you, most desired, but often the most hated at the same time. Right. So like that's what I'm. <laughs> that's, the Kim Kardashians want to be us without actually being, being us. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so when you think about that, mm-hmm. though, like as you're writing and you're giving that narrative about what it means for Kiera D. Gray to be an African-American woman who's now in pursuit. This is your third degree, right? Yes. Of your third degree in higher ed mm-hmm. and you're now pursuing social work. Like, what do you bring to the table, you know, that makes like encountering you so different from any other sisters that I meet? So I like you have, I also have to start back from when like child, like because I'm growing up like with my mom. She's a strong black woman like this. Right. Like, but she's working on her 
sixth grade. Awesome. <laughs> so I um, look at her, and then I look at how she came from her mother. Okay. My grandmother, Rachel Harris. All right. She's almost, she'll be 90 years old this year. <laughs> and okay. So- Grandma Rachel Harris. Let's pause. 90 years old. Grandma, <laughs> we reach out and say hello and how are, t- how are you? How are you? Salutations. Let my aunt show her this on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> aunt, auntie, please show Grandma Harris this right here. She sees her grandbaby doing great things. <laughs> All right. And she grew up like, you know, she got like divorced from my grandfather and then she was like raising up. Like, you know, like kids and seeing how she didn't go past like a certain amount of education, but she wanted differently for her children. And then like my mother like broke the mold. She was like, oh, like if I can't, you're not going to tell me what I can't do. I'm going to exceed it, go above and beyond it. And I'm just, it's like, it's. How can I bring this? Like, oftentimes when I see, like, for example, Black men put us in a box. And, like, sometimes, I feel like a lot of times Black men are often the most disrespectful to us. Okay. Let's talk about it. I want to know your thoughts about that. Because, like, when I see, like, like, going to, like, you know, college and, like, all these experiences, they feel like... They can put us into a box, like with gender roles. Like, for example, just with my daughter, like raising my daughter. She's a young black girl. Right. And a A beautiful girl. Thank you. I got pregnant with her when I was at Northwestern University. Okay. And like, I feel like my my womanhood, I feel like I often have to prove myself. I have to go above and beyond. Like, you know, the stereotype of like, you have to do twice as work twice as hard to get half. (laughs) Right. And I, I was at Northwestern University in my a lot of time. My black professors told me I should drop out when I was in school. And I was like, but I'm about to graduate. They're like, but you're pregnant. What are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to get this degree. What do you think I'm going to do? So then when I found out I was pregnant two days later, I went to South Africa, Johannesburg, South Africa. Okay. did a documentary. Awesome. And then I went to D.C. and covered politics on Capitol Hill during the Trump campaign, which was interesting. Okay. <laughs> Covering a Trump rally. Right. And, like, I feel like oftentimes it's just me, like, working double time to just prove that I can do it because, like, with my, I have a brother who's in prison. Okay. And, like, it's like he has two children, like, two little babies. And I feel like I have to be a role model for my niece and nephew, especially my niece, though, because she's looking up and seeing, like, well, I don't have this figure here. But what else can like? But I'm I'm still need to. I still have to thrive. I still have to live. Like life doesn't stop. Right. So, so I don't know if that makes sense. I'm it trying. Does. No, it does. <laughs> it, it makes sense. But like when we we're exploring your story, my story. Yeah. So yes. when I look at you telling me about Grandma Harris, yeah, right? and Grandma Harris, although she wasn't, she didn't educationally go as far. Like she had tons of wisdom, clearly. Yes. Yeah. And even though black she, woman from Mississippi. Right. You know, so she was she was strong in her character, her morals and her values. Those mm-hmm. invisible, you know, boundaries and barriers that like constructed a family that could yes. move and go forward. Mm-hmm. So then your mother takes that wisdom, right? Mm-hmm. And then she shatters the entire mold. I mean, there's no yes. glass ceiling, 
You know, she took that ambition, she took that sacrifice, and now she has six degrees, right? <laughs> yes. Doing, and so, doing I the mean, most. she's yeah, <laughs> doing the most, but like in yes. such a way that it has set a whole different stage and experience for you. Yes. And so progressively. So I grew up kind of privileged, like going to private schools my entire life. Right. And, and, and so think about it, though. That is based upon Grandma <laughs> Harris's sacrifice. Yes. And so is. then your mother comes and she begins to give you an entire new model for generations to follow, right? Yeah. So now, and she, and I know you can feel the pressure. I'm looking at you, and <laughs> like the pressure is like, hey, you know, in this family, the women are going to accomplish these things, right? Mm-hmm. And so now you have to carry the ball forward. And I guess my encouragement would be not so much that you have to prove a thing, mm-hmm. but that the quality of who you're being, like, you know, mm-hmm. not proving like your strength as a woman, but like living in that space of just being strong. Yeah. You know, so it's different. I'll, I'll give you this example. So mm-hmm. uh, in college, and we talked about college, you know, the weight yes. room is kind of co-ed, right? Yeah. And I'll tell this story. It's embarrassing, but I'll tell the story anyway. So okay. I was on the decline bench and I, I mean, I was putting up weight. I was in a track runner. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, all of a sudden, I, I'm, you know, on my last set and I get it up and then I said, I'm going to get one more and I pull it down and I cannot get this weight <laughs> off of my chest. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I didn't put the clamps on the end. So I was able to dump the weights off both sides. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just me and some other brothers in there early in the morning. So then when I go back to lift in the afternoon and the pressure of the sisters being present, you know, hey, it's time to impress. So yeah. I didn't put as much weight on there, mm-hmm. but I I only put on there what I knew I could rep. Okay. And so there are so many times um, when I was trying to overextend myself and do these different things uh, to eventually be able to be impressive on the track mm-hmm. in front of other people. When I just lift the weight that I know I was able to do, yes. uh, I had to choose being effective over being impressive. I like that. And so uh, that is my encouragement. Like when you are more focused on being Mm -hmm. strong than having to prove that you're strong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so like you have a great lineage of women who like your your grandmother's 90. (laughs) So she's lived through like all of the social oppression. She's from Mississippi. She understands, you Mm -hmm. know, what it means to be discriminated against because of her race, her ethnicity, her Mm -hmm. culture, her gender. Mm -hmm. And now you have your mom who shattered the glass ceiling. And we have you who are uh, earning your third degree now. uh, I don't know if I'm going to get that many as as her though. (laughs) But see, see, here's the thing though. It's not about... Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so now your daughter is seeing you accomplish these things Mm -hmm. so you're working going to school and being a mother yes like that is a full load yes and so when i when i asked you about like kiera d gray like you are a woman with a story to tell and your Mm -hmm. blogs did your blogs show that you know like self-care not just being equated to the surface things of manicures and pedicures and getting your hair done but like making sure that your mental health and your inner your inner self that you're tending to those things. That's what you, you talk about. You have about. to do the hard work because I feel like self-care is often an overused word. Okay. Because like you're saying, like I see all over the place, like it's my self-care day, but you're just spending money, <laughs> like going shopping, getting your hair done. But it's often more than that. Like those days are good. Those are needed some days, but you also like, you can't, you may be hurting on the inside. Like I deal with anxiety and depression. Like it's something that I've been like dealing with since I realized, like undergrad. And I realized, oh, I need a therapist. 
okay. and I feel like it's a stigma in the black community. Like they're like, oh, she's crazy. Like why is she in therapy? But I'm like, no. Like I feel like everybody needs to try it at least once because like you have to do the work before like it gets to a place where you feel like you're so far gone that you can't get any help. Like the right. suicide rates going up and everything. I feel like it's okay to ask for help. Right. And I mean, don't wait till a crisis comes. Don't wait till a crisis comes to find a therapist. Right. So <laughs> so talk to me about that. How did you decide, like, you know what, I'm going to go try. I, I'm going to go to therapy. It was when I was, um, I was at Northwestern and I moved to Chicago and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I feel like I had a whole panic. I started having panic attacks. Like, I didn't leave my room. I was like, I'm in a whole nother state in Chicago, and I'm not even enjoying it. I'm just sitting in my room balled up, like, not doing anything. And so I was like, they have free sessions <laughs> at the CAPS. So let me go here. And then um, this white woman, like, did my intake. And she was like, you can have me or the one other woman of color here. And I was like, I guess I'll take the one other <laughs> Woman, woman of color. One other woman of color. And she was a Mexican woman and she was a great intro into therapy. And so after that, I just, and then it's like you only get 12 sessions. Right. <laughs> so then after that, like I went into the community and found someone that took my insurance. And then when I got that, and you know, I found out I was pregnant and everything. So then when I got back, I was like, I still need a therapist because now I'm pre- And I don't know what I'm doing. I was 24 when I found out I was pregnant. And so I kept going it's like a dating relationship so you just keep like going until you find the one that fits until you like, find the one that, yeah <laughs> right so so you're dating you not not literally dating yeah. your therapist, but you yes. know getting to know them i'm like oh you didn't yeah. work out sorry let me find someone like yeah, how, how do you break else? up with your therapist like break, i just i go come on give me give me give me the script what is the script like when you there was no script i probably should have had a script i just Cancel my appointment and never showed back. Up. Oh no! I don't you, recommend that. Wait, did you send a text message like we must break up? No, I just was like bye. Oh wow! And then they called me. They're like, "Do you want another appointment?" I was like, "No, I'm good." <laughs> like, no, uh, no, that's not a thing. Like okay. you weren't bad. It just wasn't for me. <laughs> right. I mean, the connection has to be there. Yeah. Especially when you're talking about being vulnerable with your inner thoughts and mm-hmm. you know feeling that the advice that they're giving or yeah. uh, the counsel that they're giving that's a more appropriate word the counsel that they're giving uh that is working you know that yes. it is something that describes and it, it connects with your core values mm-hmm. and so to get counsel from someone who has a whole different set of values or they're talking from some theory uh that they haven't really seen played out in anyone's life yes yeah, it's, it's not a not really a thing right yeah yeah so you're just like they're like here read this book and right. i'm like oh i can buy this book on my own i want you to tell me <laughs> Yeah, you said. Look, I want the conversation. I yeah, want, I want the connection, right? Yeah, and so, so now I have one that gives me homework every week in a way, and then we talk about it, and unpack it. I've been with her for over a year now. Okay, all right. Found her on Therapy for Black Girls. Therapy for Black Girls. Yeah, people should go there. They have a whole therapist directory just of Black girls. Okay, so we we have uh, crossed the bridge of like knowing where we come from, the sacrifice that it takes for us to become who we are, yes. the fact that we're evolving every day based upon our experiences, Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that we have to acknowledge what it is that we really need when we talk about self-care, even Mm -hmm. if that's talking about, you know, making sure we find the right therapist. And Mm -hmm. then like with all of that, because like, I mean, people, someone would look at your life and say, man, you got you really doing it. And you are. And yeah, I mean, and you are. Uh, And so when we talk about the script of being a mom, like when I think about 
just in this short time, you're telling me about all of these transitions, like where you've gone to D.C. and you've covered uh, the political campaigns for Trump when you've you know, gone to Northwestern and you were uh, in Chicago, you know, when you went to U of M and got your undergrad in women's studies and African-American studies. Now that you're becoming a social worker, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, life is full of different transitions. It is. And so like uh, what I believe, like in transition, there's like that gap there. Right. Mm-hmm. So like coaching the transitions. Right. It's very important, uh, particularly like to your emotional well-being, because mm-hmm. when it's something new, something being introduced, something unknown, but like navigating that space confidently. Like talk to me about going from like womanhood into motherhood. Oh yeah. You see the transition on the slogan. (laughs) Right. Right. So going from womanhood, it was scary. Like, I feel like I, like, like when I was pregnant, like everybody came out the woodwork with all their unsolicited advice. I'm like, where was your advice when I was just bopping around the college, (laughs) trying to figure things out. But now like, they, they're like, oh, my, for example, I had a hairstylist tell me, she's like, her and her client were like, how old are you? And I was like, well, I'm 24. They're like, you're too young to be having a kid. And I was like, what are like, what are you supposed to do with that information? And they're like, oh, you know, she needs a father. And I'm like, she has a, are you just assuming that as a black woman that she's not going to have a dad? Like, so all these stereotypes were like put on me. And I'm like, actually, all your stereotypes are wrong. Right. <laughs> Thank you, like, for your unsolicited wrong opinion. But I talked about that on my blog, too, about how everybody gives, like, uh, like once you're pregnant, they feel like, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. Like, why are you going to school? Like, you need to be worried about your child. I even had a professor when I emailed her, like, when I, after she was born, I was like, I need a job. <laughs> like, I graduated from Northwestern, and it was struggling finding a job. And she was like, you need to be focused on being a mother right now. And I was like, so as a mother, I can't work and take care of my child. I'm supposed to just, like, stop, halt everything and just, like, focus on her. Like, if she's going to be taken care of. If I'm taken care of, I need money <laughs> to take care of her. So it's just trying to ignore, I guess, all the noise in the background and just, like, figuring out what motherhood means for you. Because for me, like, some people want to be a stay-at-home mom and just focus on it. And that's great. But I want to have, like, a career and so I can have the money on my own and not worry about focus, like, being reliant on anybody else. So she can see, oh, my mom handled business and put, like, I was able to afford me all the opportunities available. Right, to be self-sustainable. Yes, yeah, self-sustainable, because right. I want her to be self-sustainable. I don't want her to be relying on any man for anything. <laughs> right, and I think that that's noble, because mm-hmm. uh, in all honesty, the, the way the world is going, yeah. uh, like no quality man is really looking for a broke woman. No. You know what I mean? So, I mean, the, I mean, just in mm-hmm. all honesty, like the day and age where... Oh, yeah, but I want yeah. the male opinion of right. like, so, all this. Yeah, I mean, so, so the day and age of a man just going to look for a woman to take care mm-hmm. of like that that day is is non-existent i mean yeah. i do know we can use some of the unhealthy examples where we have toxic relationships where the woman might be going to work and he's driving her car while she's at work living inside of her apartment mm-hmm. and she ha- she's struggling to find herself worth because be yeah i mean <laughs> so like we got the baby boy example right yeah. we we know that right mm-hmm. but we also have like women right now, particularly African-American women, are some of the most emerging entrepreneurs happening right now. Yes. So, I mean, the black girl magic is in full effect. 
you know, uh, when we talk about college, you know, African-American women are enrolling and graduating mm -hmm. at a higher rate. So all of these things like are trending upward. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I am very uh, proud, you know, to see uh, my sisters doing great things. One of the things I think that we struggle with just as a nation, though, mm -hmm. is like remaining relational, yes. that we realize that although we may think differently, although we might be, quote unquote, what someone would call opposites, we need to position ourselves as compliments. So I'm definitely, you know, a strong man, you know, can 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 have a strong woman. Yeah. And sometimes they're threatened, yeah. I feel like. Well, because I, I, they want to feel like they're doing better than you. So like they feel like they're the protectors and like I can make more money. I can take care of them. But it's like, it's I mean, okay. <laughs> right. A woman makes more than you. So here's the thing. <laughs> so, so let me give some pushback on that. Here, here's what I have some pushback is. Okay. How do you approach a relationship um, with a man who you already think, like if you are a successful woman mm -hmm. um, and you are single and you're getting ready to, you know, become, you start dating according and mm -hmm. like if you approach the relationship believing that he already has a set of insecurities, he may not have even shown you that he's yeah. insecure. But like if you believe that he's going to be insecure about your success, like how do you navigate that? I tried to go like with no expectations. Sometimes you can't have expectations because then you're let down. <laughs> but like just going there, like seeing what it actually is. But if they're come to you and like they show that you're they're also like about their business like working hard like so they shouldn't even be worried about like if you're a threat or not like or if i feel like you're gonna be um if you're yeah okay no that's not i mean i, I understand that so like, <laughs> yeah like, like if the, like going there with no expectations seeing like where you to align because i see I, i've had friends who like are you know single like in these like, for example, in D.C. or Chicago, all these cities, and they're trying to date. And, like, you know, she, they're also, like, master's degrees, like, working on their career, like, moving forward. And a lot of times the men are, like, they, they feel insecure. And they're, like, oh, why, did, why are you doing that? Like, <laughs> like, this is what I'm doing. And they actually lied about their career <laughs> to her. And then she's, like, wait, I thought you were doing this. Like, why did you lie? You didn't have to lie to make me feel like you were... More than. More than. Yeah. Like, just tell me. And, like, now I lost respect for you. <laughs> like, if you just came in, like, say, like, if you're aspirational and saying that I was working towards something, that's great. We can, like, build towards something together. But you don't need to come in here acting like you're something and you're not so you can feel like you're one-upping me so you can feel like a man. Does that make sense? It, I get I get it. And it's happening. <laughs> listen, and it's happening every day. Yes. But I think the greater issue is more about not just like male dominance or a man trying to assert himself as a man as it is being able to have healthy conversations around yes. goals, ideas. So like I think the the uh surface thing is that the man wants to be impressive, he wants to be the breadwinner, you know. So that is mm -hmm. the that's the easiest thing to say, oh, you know, this is what it is. But I think the more systemic issue is we don't know how to have healthy relationships that end up serving as compliments yes. as opposed to us being competitive with each other. Yeah. So like the only reason that uh someone would do that is because they're drawing comparisons, right? Yeah. And when we're drawing comparisons, it's not wise. Because we, yeah. we clearly bring something different to the table, right? And that's supposed to be, you're supposed to bring something. I don't, like, if you're bringing the exact same thing, I could just be by myself. And, <laughs> exactly. And, well. and here, here's the thing. Uh, it's the social pressure of explaining to your friends 
like occupation. So mm-hmm. I have a, a we were ta- I was talking to one of my friends about the difference between maybe like someone who has pursued like skilled trades and someone who has gone on to like get their bachelor's, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, a gentleman was sharing we were sharing and this guy says, "Yep, yeah, my friend is a skilled trade tradesman and he has contracts for the city of Detroit." He has multiple contracts for the city of Detroit. And so after he's gotten dirty throughout the day and, you know, done what he needed to do, when he goes home to his home, he showers and he jumps in his Bentley and he drives down to, you know, the uh, after five event, just like the doctors and just like the lawyers. And so I think when we take the social pressure of like what we believe is impressive or what we believe is status, you know, so status is really huge when you're dating. I struggled with that, too, because I was going I was pursuing a career in law after journalism. Like right. I accepted to law school and everything. And I was like, I really don't want to do this. I was just doing it because it sounded stable and it sounded good. And people right. could say, Kira is a lawyer. <laughs> right. Right. And I was like, but what? What? Like, I really don't want to do that. I worked at a law firm and every, I was like, I don't think these are yeah, my 60, people. Yeah, 60 to 80 hours a week. <laughs> These um, are not my people. Right. Yeah. I was just like, I had to abandon. And then, then I felt bad because like people were like, wait, you're doing social work now? You guys have to social. I was like, yeah, they're like, what happened? You guys sat to the law school. I was like, I just, I didn't respond. <laughs> like I just moved on. I was like, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. God has a bigger plan okay. for me. So now we, there, there goes the heart of it, right? Yes. So that God has a bigger plan. Back to the drawing board. Back to the drawing board. <laughs> Right. Yes. And so when we look at that, like living in that authentic space of Mm -hmm. being who you are. Yes. And so when you get to that authentic space of being who you are, it kind of it serves as a as a deterrent to those who don't fit in that space Mm -hmm. or even in the conversation that you start having. Like It's great to meet people, but you're on this trajectory and this path and it enriches the experience of your life. But you know who not to let into that inner circle. Mm-hmm. Or that inner sanctum of who you are. It's like, okay, that's cool. It was great meeting you. You yes. know, nice meeting you. And here's my advice for anybody that's dating. Now, here here it is. This is Ebron 101. <laughs> uh, if the relationship cannot be platonic at first, then it doesn't have the foundation needed for sustainability. And because we all know uh, grown people don't know how to date. They don't know how to date without it getting physical. You know, and the physicality of it, uh, there, there's no uniqueness in that. Um, you know, when we talk about, uh, and, and for those who are listening, uh, if they're, if you believe this might be too advanced for the children that are listening, like anatomically, you know, that, that's not, you, you not unique. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that is just basic science, right? Yeah. But when we talk about, uh, chemistry, mm-hmm. uh, being head, then heart, then physical. You know, mm-hmm. and, you know, of course, my faith and beliefs, it means you should wait until you get married. And if you haven't waited till you got married, God's grace will cover and forgive you. Just don't keep making the same mistakes and challenges. That's <laughs> all right. So all of that to say, um, you know, when you are discovering who you are in mm-hmm. God and you are pursuing uh, what it means foundationally for you to be a woman, for you, for what it means for you to be a mother, for what it means for you now to be a social activist and advocate and social worker. Mm-hmm. Like all of those things take on layers and dimensions and yeah. they're ever evolving. Uh, because now here's the thing. We share a lot in common. So I got accepted to law school. I actually completed L1. 
Oh, good job. And so, thank you. And so, got through that. And my wife and I, we were pregnant at the time. And so, then my role as a provider and a husband and a father took precedent over Mm -hmm. me being a law student. Right? So, then I came out of law. But guess what I was doing at the time? I was a social worker. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, we had the same background. Right. Right. So, I found a lot of things, like looking back over it, there were a lot of things in my history, my family's history, that actually end up being worked out in my service to mankind, mm-hmm. right? So, like, I specifically worked for Head Start, and then I worked for the state of Michigan in a foster care capacity. And so, like, doing all of those things that set up and really closed some doors that happened in my family previously by serving other people. Like, here's the thing. Why social work? Because I'm passionate about mental health. And I feel like I want to work with women, especially mothers. Like, this is the theme. Okay. <laughs> and I've, that's why I was originally going into law, because I was like, oh, I can maybe do family law and help, like, women who are in domestic, like, abusive relationships or, like, get out of rel- But then I was like, you know, there's a better way I can do this, because, like, with my blog, I talk about motherhood, mental health, and... In undergrad, I was originally applying to the School of Social Work before anything else. Okay. But I I had a skewed vision of social work. I thought it was like the stereotype of, oh, it's sad. We're just going to take kids away <laughs> or something. Right. I thought of Precious, Mariah Carey and Precious. <laughs> okay. You're talking about taking kids away. Yeah. And, and that is part of the reality depending upon like, like social work has a, so many facets. Exactly. Yeah. I didn't realize it has so many facets. And I was like, oh, my God, like this is amazing. So I um, applied to Michigan as an interpersonal health, like in a personal practice and mental health major and a minor in social policy and evaluation. Okay. And now I'm a Herschel Scott, scholar, which is talking about um, behavioral health. Okay. So I was like, oh, I, I was like, I can like actually work with families and underserved communities talking about mental health and like getting rid of the stigma of seeking mental health care. And people are struggling with like mental health, like so schizophrenia, bipolar disorder in the black community, like oftentimes you're like calling it something else. You're like, oh, they just need Jesus. They just need to go to church and pray. They'll be all right. But it's like, no, you can have Jesus and a therapist. So like right. you can talk, you can seek mental health help without. And I feel like seeing more people who look like me in the mental health field will break that barrier down in the black community where you're like, OK, maybe I feel a little more feel a little safer talking to this person because on movies you often think of just laying on a couch talking to an old white man (laughs) (laughs) when you're like or a young or young white lady or a young white lady Mm -hmm. like it's either or (laughs) but like there's like I need need to see more men and black men and women in the mental health field and so you want to provide an opportunity uh, and I'm not mansplaining I'm not Okay. I'm just no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I <laughs> okay. just want to want to put that on the record. I'm just getting clarity. Yeah. Uh, so you want the underrepresented yes. to see someone that looks like them yes. in a position that can help them and also relate. Yes. All right. So I've been listening to you and you believe that just really like our uh culture allows us to connect in a way that maybe uh if it was someone who was not African-American or a person of color may not be able to relate. Yeah, sometimes, like, there's, like, I've heard of, like, you know, 
black women or men having like white therapists and being just fine. Right. Sometimes you want to talk about issues of race or like culture and like there's then there's that barrier there where like they maybe could empathize, but they couldn't under not be able to understand it. And sometimes you just want that person who like gets it without you're already talking about like maybe traumatic issues. You don't want to explain it <laughs> on top of that. So sometimes you just want somebody who's like automatically getting it without being like, what do you mean? <laughs> they said that to you. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you what, sure that's yeah. what they meant? What, what, what do you mean when they said that? What do you think they meant? You know, exactly. and you know, well, maybe they just genuinely don't get it. You don't want to have to explain that as well. And so here's the thing that I would, would also ask is that, you know, and we've talked about a lot of different things where, you know, we're not overgeneralizing. We're just talking about in the larger scope of things. Right. Yeah. Um, so even though we might be African-American, mm-hmm. our experiences as African-Americans, meaning like the culture. Right. Mm-hmm. But then the subculture that exists inside of my own household, my family of origin, all of those things that may influence. Um, let's see. As uh, behavioral therapists are going in and looking at what happens with someone with mental health, uh, how do you plan? Like, what is the overall vision you have right now? Like, this is the mark that I want to make in this particular field. I want to have my own center. Tell me about it. Let's let's. <laughs> and we're vision casting right here now at the drawing board. <laughs> the Kiara D. Gray. Uh, what is it going to be called? I don't know. Okay, she doesn't know yet. <laughs> But we're gonna, I need to get the degree yeah, first. No, we're going to vision cast right here. Go ahead, Kira. Tell me about tell me about your center. I want to have a center that's dedicated as for as a safe space for women of color. You don't have to necessarily be black, but like a woman of color who is who just wants a safe place, safe space to go that offers resources that may be not feasible to like you know in your community like. Maybe you've never seen a therapist. You felt like you don't have access to a therapist or the insurance to cover. I want to be able to offer these resources to women and have them come. Like we could have workshops, talk about like our goal planning. Like maybe you're a single mom. Maybe you're a mom that's married, but like you don't feel supported. Like you, so you just have go somewhere where you can find someone like yourself and create that sisterhood and community. Okay, cool. Now, what's grandma's first name? Rachel. Rachel Harris? Mm-hmm. What's her middle initial? She doesn't have a middle name. She doesn't have a middle name. No. Right. Okay. So why don't we call My it... daughter's middle name is Rachel, though. Oh, Definitely. wow. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yes. So why don't we call it like the Rachel Harris Foundation? And, I would, hey, yeah. she and so, would love that. Yeah. <laughs> but because I would say like this, so like the Rachel Harris Foundation, mm-hmm. Life Beyond the Struggle. See? Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here struggling with names. I'm like, I don't know. No, I mean, and, and this is just just a suggestion. So, yeah. like, if, when could, you think about that, cool. and like your grandmother's, like the narrative Legacy. of your grandmother's mm-hmm. life, like I think about, like, how, what type of fortitude was she had to have to like come up, you know, during those times from Mississippi? Like, how were her emotions? How did she handle the, you know, being a mother? How does she handle being a woman? How does mm-hmm. she handle being a wife? So, like, all of the things that you would minister to, mm-hmm. like, underneath that foundation, like, the elements. So, you could have, like, the counseling piece, the outreach, the outreach arm, uh, the, you know, uh, the community of sisterhood. Like, you could literally, like, build different facets of this foundation. And so, then from that ah. point, it's literally telling her life story by you ministering to the women that would come there. See, that's amazing. It would be a good legacy for her. It would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that 
it would always keep you kind of rooted. And then, of course, your mom with six degrees is going to get in there. <laughs> and she's she going to help it be t- hyper-organized. Like, she's she's going to get a— She's she, super type A. Yeah. No, I, I, listen, I, I can tell just from, like, conversing with you. And, Mama, we love you. Yeah, we appreciate all that you have done. Uh, but here's the thing, though. It, it takes that type mm-hmm. of fortitude. It takes that type of mentality. Mm-hmm. And while, like, I'm looking at you all generationally, and you all are, like, very different women. Like, you know— from your grandmother to your mom to you. I'm like, very different than both of them. No, yeah, no, I know. I, can, I yeah. mean, I can tell just by, like, in our conversation. Yeah. But I think the uh, the thing that it reflects for me is that within a single woman, this is what I believe, okay? Mm-hmm. So this is just Ebron, all right? Like, there's a dynamic portion to how a woman lives. You know what I mean? And I'm I, what I'm saying is there's so much inside of a woman that it does take a man who's married to her a lifetime to get to know her. And mm-hmm. I think that uh, sometimes it is a wonderful and a beautiful thing. Sometimes, I'll be honest, it is a very frustrating thing. And sometimes it is a like a unique experience. But I have never seen a woman who really knows who she is, what she desires, what she wants. I've never seen people be around her and not become better. That's what I want for, I hope other people, like with my blog, like just seeing like my story and reading it, they're like, wow, okay, like I'm not alone in this. Right. I can learn something. So I I do. My mistakes or something. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. But here's the thing. I think it's the lessons from the mistake. Yes. And so when we talk transparently about where we've missed it, like Mm -hmm. there has to be a restorative element, right? And like this is my challenge with a lot of the uh, reality shows. And we know they're built for entertainment. But they're shaping people's lives, you know? Yeah. People take them seriously. Right. People take them seriously, right? <laughs> yes. And even with, like, from, like, even the pulpiteers mm-hmm. uh, who now find this new thing of, like, being transparent, like, there has to be a redeeming element of your story. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just leave it at the trauma. Or yes. you can't just leave it at the drama. Like, I, you, you I ha- didn't make that your story. Though. Right. Like, you talk, constantly talk about, like, the trauma you've been through. And you're like... But you came out of it, right? <laughs> like, are you still in it? There was a podcast about that. I should find it and send it to you. Like, where it's like, like, let go of the old story so you can move on and create a new one. Right. It actually happened on my podcast. Okay. It was a brother named Mark. He said, we have to divorce the story. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. he was like, we cannot continue to tell our story from a position of trauma. Mm-hmm. But we have to pull out the victory, the victorious element. Because if the trauma was so, like so harsh and it may have been mm-hmm. like you you wouldn't be here yeah like, so there's an element of overcoming that mm-hmm. exists within your fibers that says i want more i want better mm-hmm. you know I, I won't allow this to oppress me and hold me down you know whether it's from anxiety to depression like i'm care de gray <laughs> and you know yeah. so like i always think about like if i had to tell your story like if i was in your position yes. and i had to tell your story i would be like you know i am the the I have inherited a 90-year legacy of a woman from Mississippi mm-hmm. who fought her way through divorce, who fought her way from being undereducated, and who birthed a child who now has six degrees. Mm-hmm. I am the product of that child of six degrees. Mm-hmm. I have a daughter who will continue to live out this legacy of excellence because the six degrees that my mother earned had nothing to do with just uh, just her attaining success, but some of those degrees were because her mother could not finish school. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it is uh, Rachel, right? Mm-hmm. So now some of these degrees belong to Rachel. Yeah. Yeah. 
and some of your degrees. So now Rachel has going on nine degrees. Maybe she, my mom got one for everybody. Right, one for every. Right, you said all the kids and everybody, right? Say, listen, just go in there and tell them that your mama got six degrees, all right? (laughs) And no, but here's the thing, though. Like, when Mm -hmm. you tell that story, it's so empowering. Mm -hmm. But when you tell it from the vantage point of, like, your privilege is based upon her sacrifice. Yeah. And then when you think about your daughter, like, when we talk about beauty. Mm -hmm. And I hear you saying, like, hey, listen, don't bring me your box. I'm not interested in your box. You know, when people try to define Uh who you are and what you, like, hey, listen. I'm not interested in how you want to define me or label me me for your comfort. Like, I am who I am. Mm -hmm. Embrace that or let it go. Yeah, I had to learn to stop seeking validation. (laughs) How how did you do that? I'm still trying to figure it out. Well, what are some of the steps that you took? Some of the steps I took is just learning that if I listen to everybody's advice that they gave me like mm-hmm. it's i learned that oftentimes it's a they're projecting their insecurities onto me because maybe they feel like they couldn't do something and okay. now that i want to do something they're like oh don't do it that way like this is what happened to me and i'm like but i'm not you <laughs> so i had to learn to like filter the noise and say like what is good advice that i should consider or what is like just like okay i I feel like you're projecting your insecurities onto me and i'm still learning that like because as a mom like people are always going to tell you like why don't you do this like why are you like you have a child you can't do this like and i'm like i haven't for example i love traveling i've like i've been to like england south africa ghana German, like, like different no, places. Where else? Tell me, tell me. <laughs> England, Ghana, Germany. Where else? Um, Jamaica. Okay. Um, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico. Like Puerto Rico, that's a U.S. territory. But um, I'm going to Cuba this summer. Okay. So I feel like, like I haven't traveled since she's been born. Like I've taken her places to see, like, like her grandma in Florida or like. My grandma, I have another grandma who lives in Memphis. Okay. <laughs> and, like, she's seen, like, them, but, like, I haven't traveled on my own, and I feel like that's something that I've let go, that I've, you know, kind of lost myself. I'm like, oh, I have her. I can't leave her with anybody. Nobody can take care of her like I can take care of her. Right. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And then finally, like, one day my friends were like, I want to go to Cuba. Like, you haven't been nowhere. <laughs> Like and I was like, fine. So I paid for my ticket. I'm like, now we got to figure out where we're gonna stay and all that. Right. <laughs> but but like just the fact of like, I'm like, it's only like four days. Just getting back to something that I enjoy, so I can like remember who I was in a way. So I feel like I took a turn. <laughs> right. And, and motherhood, motherhood does that though. Yes. Right. Motherhood does that because your new priority. Yes. Is developing your child. Yes. Making sure they have the advantages and they're, that they are exposed mm-hmm. and all of those wonderful things. Yes. I mean, I, you know, we, I have two children, mm-hmm. so I've seen that process. Yes. And so there comes a time, sometimes uh, brothers that are listening that are married, newlyweds, or uh, gentlemen who, you know, may have a girlfriend that's pregnant. And when she has her child, there's going to come some days, and this is just the honest God truth, where she is only interested in being a mother. Okay, Mm -hmm. and you might feel sometimes neglected. I'm not saying that it's right, but I'm telling you that it's real. Okay, and what you have to realize is that is a huge transition Mm -hmm. um, from going from womanhood to motherhood. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we we haven't talked about things such as postpartum depression. Yeah, uh, some yeah, some of these things that are are real Mm -hmm. that people experience, and we may qualify it or quantify it as, "Oh, she just tripping." 
or you know or you know these but I've no had these, people tell me i wasn't depressed they're like you're not depressed and i'm like then what, what is this <laughs> right <laughs> like just like help me out. like just be supportive that's all you have to do just tell them to be supportive <laughs> and, but watch this most people don't know how like how to handle that yeah so like even when people describe uh uh like what they may be experiencing like those raw emotions mm-hmm. are kind of difficult to handle it's like you yeah. know, now the stability that I thought we had may have had in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Now what you've done is now I feel, you know, like I'm not able to properly engage because I don't know what it is that you may need in that moment. Like yes. when people talk about how they are feeling or where they are emotionally, mm-hmm. like the goal is to always try to get back to that homeostatics place. Right. Like mm-hmm. I just want you to be I just want you to be good. Like, what do I need to do to make you be good? Like, you know, I don't even know what good like, looks like. like right. I how do I fix this? You know what I mean? <laughs> I and. Know. And mm-hmm. taking and taking that journey sometimes is a ch- a, ch- a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, my new book that's coming up. But before I give you the the title of my new book, I have a challenge for you as a writer. Okay. Here's the challenge. I always give everybody here that comes on the show. I give them a book to write. All right. I want to write a book. Are you up to the challenge? I am up to okay. the challenge. Okay. I would love for you to write a book called Filter the Noise. Oh. All right. Because you have said that. Several times. I haven't realized. Yeah. I have. Yeah. Okay. So, no, but having to filter the noise. Okay. The journey mm-hmm. of Kiera D. Gray. Okay. All right. I've given you a foundation. A title. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I've given you a book. Um, and so uh, the name of my new book is called The Journey Matters. Mm-hmm. And so it is helping people understand like the, the makeup of life, our moments that occur. Mm-hmm. And it's how far do we carry that moment? How how much does that moment continue to influence our day to day interaction, and where does that come from? Uh, that's what the book will be about. And of course, you know the conference is coming up, the drawing board experience. You you have to be there June twenty second. Yeah, you have to be there. Oh, I'm looking for the flyer. I don't have the flyer right here. It's in my bag. But oh yeah, the drawing board experience. Boom. Need to have you there. So with minutes left, Kira, where can they find you and find your blog? KiaRDGray.com. Okay. And I'm revamping my blog. It's going to be called The Roadmap Back, which is about finding the roadmap back to yourself. Okay. And honoring yourself in the midst of motherhood. Awesome. And so keep a lookout for both titles. Okay. (laughs) I might be doing a redirect. But you can also find me on Instagram at KiaRDGray.com. Okay. Not KiaRDGray.com, just KiaRDGray. So on Instagram at KiaRDGray. (laughs) There's a theme. It's just my name. KiaRDGray.com. Twitter, KiaRDGray. Twitter, Kier D. Gray. And then I always say Facebook, it like this. Kiera Facebook, Kier D. Gray. <laughs> so listen, Kiera D. Gray, all social media outlets. Okay. A-Y, not huh? E-Y. A-Y, not E-Y. Break it down. That's how you need to enter. It's Kiera D. Gray. A-Y, not E-Y. All right. But this is Andre Ebron, the host and the founder of the Drawing Board Podcast. Remember, ladies, going from womanhood to motherhood. And to beauty, it is a journey, but it's well worth it. Remember, your future is not behind you. It's not before you. It is within you. God bless.